as long as it's a mindset, it's, yes. it's living in gratitude. It's, you know, you know, giving yourself hope with the littlest thing, just hanging on to it. And you can literally overcome anything. And I was like, once I learned that I could be, you know, happy or peaceful or joyful and in mm-hmm. a cell or around craziness or knocking right. floors in prison, man, where can't I find this? So uh, ironically, the busyness of the world now, I have to remind myself more often than I did then. It's like, remember, remember, you know, all this is good and you are yeah. starting to achieve more and you're doing more things, but it's like more, 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 more doesn't always equal peace and joy. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm your host, Amanda Patton, the leading expert on nothing, nothing at all, but I am in recovery and I love it. I love the life, I love the people, and I love the things I learn. So I Have 12 Questions is a podcast about trudging the road to happy freaking destiny because we know it is not always easy. I will be asking our guests 12 questions and doing my own random soliloquies, I'm sure. But I'm gonna be asking about their stories. So we will probably laugh a lot and cry and complain a little bit, explore and ultimately learn, hopefully. All are welcome, no exceptions. In the words of Ted Lasso, who I think was quoting Walt Whitman, I wanna be curious, not judgmental. So we are going to be talking to people who have found sobriety, recovery, perspective shifts, you know, whatever you want to call it, regardless of the path they chose. So that could be 12-step programs, Jesus, nature, Buddha, art, therapy, exercise, music, drum circles, living in a freaking tree. It doesn't matter. We've heard it all. We love it all. Respect and love to all the different paths. What does matter doesn't make you want to be a better person and does it help you stay clean and sober one day at a time? And if the answer is yes to those two questions, I want to hear about it. So let's go ahead and get started. I am so excited to be here with you guys and I cannot wait to kick this thing off. Please know this podcast will contain language and subject matter that is not appropriate for all listeners. Thanks. Hi everyone, welcome to our first episode. I'm Amanda Patton and you guys know this is I Have 12 Questions and we have with us today Brandon Puffer. And so just wanna say hi to everyone and I'll introduce him formally here in just a second. Um, But before we get started, I do wanna kinda talk you up a little bit to our guest um, in case they don't know you yet. Um, You're obviously probably best known for your time in the major league baseball, being a major league baseball pitcher. And I have recently found out that you're also just a really great human being, uh, which is pretty cool. So your book just came out last month, I believe, right? Okay. And it's out there on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, About a month ago. And it's called From the Bullpen to the State Pen. And it's a really great read. I've read it a couple, several times, and we'll definitely get into that here in the interview. Um, But I thought it was really inspiring and relatable and kind of sad in some parts and just Mm -hmm. so honest, you know, and I Mm -hmm. um, so before I introduce you and we kind of get started, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of thank you for writing that and, um, you know, for agreeing to even talk to me when you said yes, I was kind of like, what? Okay. (laughs) But also to talk about, you know, how you how you are so open and honest with your feelings and all of that. And a lot of men in our society have been conditioned to just not be able to do that. So I wanted to just say that, thank you for that too, at the very top of it to where, you know, to kind of empower other men to talk about things, you know, and to to be open with it. No, absolutely. I've been encouraged from other folks sharing and all that good stuff. So I just feel like the more we can kind of let it out there, it kind of loses its power a little bit and and encourages other people to to be open and honest about their struggles. Absolutely. It just makes you feel less alone and it takes a lot of courage, you know, to, to talk about that stuff. So you're my first first podcast guest ever. Uh, And so I really, you know, I really appreciate you agreeing to have this conversation and i was at my brother's house over christmas so just a couple what golly last month yeah 
And we were just watching football as a family after we were eating and, and chatting. And uh, he mentioned, you know, this guy he knows, he just wrote a book. And we got on the subject of recovery or something because I that's probably all I ever talk about. And he yeah. mentioned it. He went over and he got the book and he started talking about it. And so, of course, I ordered it and he was talking to me about his friendship with you and just how he, you know, you guys are there for each other and he looks up to you. And that's another thing. I don't I don't know a lot of guys that are in these really, you know, good, deep friendships, mm. not in my life anyway. It's pretty superficial. It's a lot about sports and this and that and whatever. But very rarely do I do I get to see, especially my brothers, I haven't really seen them do do that a lot. So it inspired me. And of course, I ordered your book and read it. And then here we are. So pretty, pretty interesting. So you grew up in California, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Southern California, Mission Viejo. Yeah. And you had great parents, according to your book. I have awesome parents. Yeah. My dad had his struggles early on, but yes, uh, they're, they're still together. And my dad is really strong in recovery and sober. My mom's like Mother Teresa. So yes, I had very good parents. (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like it. It sounded like it. Okay. So my first question, I'm supposed to only have 12 questions and now I'm wishing I would have named it. I have 500 questions because there's, <laughs> there's so much to learn. Yeah. But who was, or is your, your biggest influence and maybe not just baseball or sports, or it could be that, but just ever of all time. Hmm. That's a good one. You know, it seems like a pat answer sometimes, but I would say my dad, and it's because I watched him struggle with addiction, kind of fighting those same demons that, you know, obviously I have, and then, you know, show, walk out in his life, sobriety and faith. And, you know, I share with a lot of people, my mom has always had faith in her life. She's a pastor and I actually resented it. I was just kind of like, oh, like everything's about that. And he was more real. And then I watched this transition and this change in his life. And it really inspired me to, to, to do that. I, I wish I would have caught it a little sooner. But just watching him transition and, and being there for the family and being a good coach and doing all those things through all those struggles was, um, was huge for me. and still is. So I definitely look up to him and think of him as a hero to me. That's awesome. Because he was yeah. more relatable, I guess, sounds like. Big time. Yeah, sometimes yeah. Sometimes a Mother Teresa person, you look at that and you're like, that's great for you, but that's that's not me. Or I, I can't relate to that level of, you know, piety or whatever. That's exactly yeah. right. Yes. And so once he kind of said, hey, I'm going to try to work on myself and, and be sober and go through Celebrate Recovery and all these things – that's when I saw the difference. I was like, wait, there might be something to this because I watched this change. I, I never knew any different with my mom, although it's solid. I mean, rock solid faith. That's great. But you're right. right more relatable when I saw it, uh, an actual change in my dad. Right. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. And it's it's cool that even though all the things that happened, that that relationship has been restored, that it was redeemable and that he, you know what I mean? Because sometimes we make mistakes as parents and we're afraid that maybe we can't ever fix it or that it's insurmountable. And, you know, it's good to know that, that he made the change and that you were willing to forgive him. Absolutely. Okay. So this is one of my favorite questions. I don't like to receive it, but I like to ask it. What are, or what's something that you've had to unlearn or are still unlearning? um, That was especially challenging. And that could be, you know, a thought or a belief system or a, a societal, you know, just anything, anything at all. I think it's, you know what, I think it's just expectations on people that I, that I put like you, ex- or I, I, I don't know, I speak for myself. I expect people to think or act the same way I do. And when they don't, I get offended and I get upset and it's like, well, why did I ever expect that out of them? Like, why are my expectations that? And so I, I think that's one thing I've been really trying to be intentional about. It's written on my mirror. Don't be offended. Um, don't take things personal. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like everything's about me, me, me. And why are you doing this to me? And it's like sometimes people aren't even thinking about you. They're just, they're just not, you know, they're busy or they're not on the same page or whatever. They don't agree. And it's just like, so I think that's a big one for me is just not being offended and not taking everything so personally. You know, and at the end of the day, I think I could save myself so much grief of being upset and down about different things anxious, whatever the case may be, just because I have these set of expectations. And like, just because I act a certain way or respond to a situation a certain way, doesn't mean everybody else is. So I think that's a big one for me. Definitely still a work in progress though. That, that was like too close to home. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's a great insight, though, because you don't realize you're doing it, you know, sometimes. Right. And you wonder, why do I feel irritated? Why do I feel resentful in this moment, you know, at this person's reaction or lack of reaction? And then you reflect on it and you're like, oh, it's because I, I needed them for me to be comfortable. I needed them to react in this way. Yeah. That's a really great yeah. insight. Thank you. So can you tell me about the last time that you had to take the high road um, and that it was really difficult for you? Because in your book, you talk about, you know, just decisions or split decision or split second decisions where, you know, what's one night going to hurt um, or maybe anger. I don't know about you, but I've seen I've been around athletes my whole life. I have my, my brothers and all that. And that's, you know, sometimes oh, yeah. there's uh, this this temper situation or anger. Uh-huh. So yeah, like when's the last time an example where you had to t- really take the high road and it was like hard, it was hard to do, but you did it and kind of how you did it. Yeah. So how that plays out for me now is I'm the same way. I'm very competitive, very like you're either with me or against me type mentality. And uh, it's not always a good thing. So um, I'm very loyal when you're with me, like t- to your point about your relationship with my relationship with your brother, Corey, I mean, I would do anything for him. And he knows that. And he, and I feel the same way that he'd do that for me. But then there's times where, you know, we have this organization that you're aware of, you know, we have a baseball organization and people yes. decide to go somewhere else. They decide to go play for a competitor and it just blows me away. I take it so personal. I'm just like, how in the world I've been known to even throw out some scathing texts or phone calls or lose my temper a little bit, like you said. And I've just really been working on it. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like things happen. People go out another direction. Um, and again, it comes all it comes back down to that me taking everything personally. Like it wasn't a personal thing against me. It wasn't anything, you know, but it, so there's that. And then there's when, you know, you know about my past. So I wrote about it in the book. There's been a few times where people, in particular, like competitors, will use that against me to try to sway people another direction, and that's right. really hurtful because it's like you're trying to do the best you can. You did your time. You're you're wanting to get this behind you a little bit, and then here they're dropping this this bomb on people and for their own gain. And so it's really hard for me to take the high road when that happens. But I've learned to, and it, and it tends to work itself out. Definitely not perfectly. You know, I've still probably as recently as last week was on a phone call and got a little uh, aggressive in the fellowship and then sent a follow-up text like, Hey, that just came out of hurt. I'm sorry. I'm going to miss you guys. And they're like, no, we know we, we love everything about it. So still learning, but yeah, it's, it's pretty recent. And that's usually how it plays out for me is when I'm competitive and I want to win, win, win. And, and then they, they feel like oh, another place is better for us. And I'm like, what? I know the guys we have, you know, there's no way. Right. Instead of just seeing it as, hey, take the high road, let them go have their journey. And sometimes they come back um, instead of blowing up this bridge. You know, maybe we can be there for them later or whatever the case exactly. may be. Just, again, kind of taking a, a little deep breath, not responding so quickly or reacting so quickly. But and that's another thing. I, I typically can take the high road if I don't react immediately. If I shoot that message <laughs> or jump on that phone, I'm coming in hot. So yeah, uh, yeah still working on it. I know in recovery, in recovery speak, sometimes you'll hear this this phrase pause when agitated, but that's what it is, right? Restraint of tongue and pen, maybe waiting a couple of days before you fire off the email or or even if you're in the middle of a hard conversation saying, you know what, I'm I'm feeling a little fired up right now. I'm gonna let's let's reconvene in a day or two. Yes. Especially because, you know, you're you're mentoring these young guys. And that was actually one of my um, one of my questions to ask you about was about GPS, you know, and um, kind of what that stands for. What just just tell us about it. You know, what is it? And, and I really want to know what comes up most often with these young guys that you're mentoring, because obviously you're coaching them and teaching them how to play baseball and how to be competitors. But there's so much more to it than that, right? Of mentoring them and on modeling, you know, what it means to be a man and what it means to be, you know, a man of faith or whatever that is. So if you could tell us a little bit about the organization and then um, kind of what you're seeing most often with, with the guys um, and maybe tools that you're sharing with them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and it started out of just a couple teams, myself and Brian Gordon, who's another local ball player lives here in the area and we were former teammates and workout partners and whatnot and you know we just 
started small. We were doing individual lessons together and we would hear kind of different things from our clients about the select world and the craziness of it all. And so we decided to start a couple teams and see if we can, you know, do it better, so to speak. And I don't know if there's, you do it better, but we were just like, Hey, maybe we'll get in the space and try to have a positive impact. And so it's grown, you know, and we had this ability to talk and speak into the lives of so many young men. And some of the common threads are just like dealing with adversity, being persistent, not giving up on your dream or your hopes. Cause a lot of guys just give up just a little bit too soon. It's, it's not quite going their way and they're going to either quit or move to another team or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's just like seeing things through, like being consistent, being the best version of yourself every single day. And, and we're going to have off days. So just give me a hundred percent of what you have that day. You know, don't right. just, don't just give in or give up and go, oh, I'm, I never, I don't accept the word. I can't do, I can't do that. Uh, you're, you're working on it. I'm working on it. Um, you know, that kind of stuff, just your self-talk and and how you, you know, that self-talk is so important. So just there's endless opportunities to help them see how important their words are, see how important, you know, their, their consistent actions are having a game plan, a routine, and just, you know, coming from, you know, my career and like your brother's career and the guys that we have in here, you're just really trying to set them up for success by forming a, a good routine. And then, you know, Hey, nothing's guaranteed, but at least you've put yourself in a good position where you can at the end of your career, if that's 20 years in pro ball or if it's, you know, high school varsity for a couple of years, you can right. look back and go, I gave it everything I had, everything I had. It's just trying to maximize their ability and their potential. That's, that's pretty good. And especially probably at that age, it's probably pretty, pretty tough um, because everything seems so it's just, everything is kind of the end of the world, right? Everything is so right now. And you did, they don't have the, you know, their whatever, whatever it's called, uh, frontal lobe isn't fully developed. And so they can't, you know, think about, um, that this back, this, this, you know, what setback or whatever it is for that day or that game isn't permanent, right? It's kind of a, it's, it's crazy though, in your book, because you go into great detail because you played for the Astros, which three teams? Sorry, I should know this. I'm I'm more interested in your human interest story and less in baseball. But like, yeah, <laughs> Astros, yeah, obviously. I did. I played for the Astros, the Giants, the Padres, and the Red Sox, and then some okay. other organizations, just you know, in the minor leagues and stuff like that. Yeah. And you got a ring, and that was really cool. How you talked about in your book about how you just came in right at the. But in your book, you go into like really, really good detail about what the minor leagues is really like, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you you talk about it in your book as well about you know and your regular people just think oh my gosh wow i bet that's a dream and then when you're talking about it, it sounds sounds rough and i remember some of the stories that gory shared and i yeah. was like wow you you sacrificed so much for so many years and this is kind of the and you even talk about your expectation versus kind of what you walked into Absolutely. And you yeah. showed up in the suit and you're at the airport waiting for somebody to come pick you up. <laughs> like, yeah. Nobody. Like, yeah. yeah. But that, that's a, you know, it's, it's easy to preach something to people if you haven't been through it, but when you've lived through that, you can, you can tell those, these guys, you know, yeah, like you're yeah, saying, persistent. That we're, we're most equipped to help those that are going through what we've been through. And so, yeah, it's rather it's the baseball aspect of like, Hey, I know you're struggling. You have an injury. You're, you're not playing the position you wish you would, or you didn't make the team you wish you would have made. You know, that happens a lot here. You make a quote unquote second team instead of a first team and you're so upset. And it's like, it's just, just go get reps and develop and and persevere and you're just fine. But you're right. It seems like the end of the world to them at the time. And we're able to share yeah, we've been released by teams. We've been let go. We've been told we're not good enough. We've been all these things. And and it really is helpful to walk through that with them. Like you said, having had the experience and going, right. this is what you can expect if you really want to do this. And it's awesome. And you'll love a lot of aspects, but it's also very, very tough physically, mentally on your family and all those things. So you got to be prepared for that. And it's not for everybody. Right. And emotionally too, it just reading the book made me feel like I was on an emotional roller coaster and I wasn't even the person, you know, with at any minute you can get called up to the bigs and at any minute you can get cut loose. And it's just so, you know, and, and like you said, you're sacrificing time with your family and your parents were helping with your child and there was just yeah. so much going on. So that's, 
you've got to be, you've got to have some serious grit, mental grit to be able to deal with that and perform right on top of everything else. You've got to stay healthy and perform and condition. And yeah, I, Corey, I said, you spend like a ridiculous amount of time in the gym. So that's, oh. is that kind of a huge, huge part of your mental clarity and keeping that discipline and that structure? Is that kind of a huge part yeah. of your yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is. I mean, I love working out and then there's always a little vanity to it. Right. But at the end of the day, it's just that, that mental health of, of it. when I don't do it, I just had a, a bout with a little bit of a sickness for a little while. I had like three weeks where I didn't work out. And I typically, the way it works for me is when I don't work out, I don't eat great. Yada, yada. So I just feel so much worse. <laughs> there's so mm-hmm. much better. Now I'm back on track now. I'm back on my meal plan and eating. And just from a mental perspective, it's huge for me. So yeah, being intentional about a physical workout, stressing, stretching myself mentally, you know, with books and quiet times and meditation and things like that yes. are very imperative for me and, and, you know, sustaining recovery, sustaining, you know, staying out of the anxious kind of dark depression of things that can kind of sneak up on me. A lot of yeah. our, uh, my coping mechanisms all kind of came from that mindset. And that mindset hasn't gone away. I just need to learn how to, you know, implement good habits that, that make it a right. little more easy to deal with. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's it's really intentional and almost I have a tendency to swing a little too rigid sometimes because I just really love structure. I love a routine because it makes me feel safe and also it helps me be consistent. Yeah. But if I get off track with, you know, prayer and meditation and workouts and eating and sleep and hydration, there's just so many, you know, things and I can tell that my mental state and the way that I think and the way that I feel kind of my mood in general it shifts really quickly. And, you know, people are are like, Oh, there's, you know, there's so much discipline and this and that. And I'm like, I just, I know how it, how good it makes me feel. So it's, it's, you know, yes, there is some discipline to it, but it's also, you know, I'm the one getting the reward and everyone around me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I've been told that too. It's like, man, you don't waver and you don't miss a day. It's like, I can't, I have to do this, you know? And at the end of the day, it does. It makes me feel good, you know? And, yeah. um, and I'm like you, uh, to a fault. When I get out of routine, I start kind of beating myself up and getting stressed yeah. out. And it's like, it's okay. Just get back on track. Just get back on track. Right. It's start supposed now. to be fun. Yeah. It's supposed to be enjoyable. Yes. Okay. So one of the things in your book too, that you talked about, and it sounded like you were really advocating trying to figure out ways to advocate for minor league ball players to help make conditions better, but also for incarcerated people, you know, and in the book you talked about, or maybe it was an interview you did on another podcast, or I've been kind of stalking you just to kind of learn more about you in different ways, but you sort of, you made a comment that you had a certain view of people who were in prison, you know, Mm -hmm. before you found yourself there. Yeah. And then that you changed and and bonded really well and built some really beautiful relationships with with some of the guys that you met. Um, so and kind of what they taught you and probably what you taught them as well. So could you yeah. talk a little bit about that and, you know, what you think the best way to for people in general to to advocate for people who are incarcerated, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's every time I talk about this, I go right to like a mental imagery of all those men sitting in there right now. Like as we speak, they're in there right now. They can't touch their families. They can't call them. They can't. It's a lonely thing. Yes, there's stuff going on in there that you wouldn't want to be around, you know, violence and things of that. That's not it. It's just the not being around your loved ones. You know, you mentioned moving close to your family. It's like, I lost my grandmother when I was in there and you're not going to get that time back. So now I'm so intentional about texting and calling and cause I couldn't do it for so long. And, but you know, to your point, I didn't at that time, I just didn't know. I was like, you know what? They're just bad people. That's where they belong. And yeah. the amount of, like you said, relationships, conversations, um, I was blown away by the ingenuity on some of these guys. Like even if they weren't using it for good, I was like, how in the world did you figure out how to make a tattoo gun or a this or a that or like what? Show me how you do this stuff. I can't even fathom it. Or just great artists, you know, sitting at the table right. doing something. You walk by and you're like, wow. And so what I really, what I realized in there, it's like, you know, yeah, there's a few that you probably wouldn't want to be around a whole lot. But for the most right. part, they're, they're sober. They're in their right mind. They're they're reflecting. And they're good men. And I'm sure women as well. Right. I didn't experience that. But, but they just made a mistake. And mo- 95% of the time, it's drugs and alcohol were involved. They did yeah. something when they weren't in their right mind. 
and now they're paying for it, which as we should. But you know what's sad is a lot of them made a mistake that won't allow them to even get out. They won't even have yeah. another chance. Yeah. Or they're doing a long, 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 long time. And it's like, oh, I mean, any amount of time seems like a long time when you're going through it. But then you look at, okay, I've been out for a while. And there's guys I was in there with that are, I mean, eight years later, they're still in that same routine and they're not getting out. And so, yeah, I guess I don't really know how folks can advocate. I know like the church I go to stream stuff. I know when volunteers came in, it meant a whole lot to me. One of the things were some classes, like cognitive intervention classes, were mm-hmm. very important to me. I took one and and took it. I think I wrote about it in the book. Just kept taking you it. Did. Yeah, it's one, of your, it's one of your journal entries at the beginning of one of the chapters, and the lady that you okay. worked with. And, yeah, yeah, I'll never forget that. It was just so awesome, and it's a class I never took time to to learn about myself and my cognitive, you know, how I thought. And so, just I guess more resources like that, the better. The problem is, yeah. is, is is the inmate has to choose. How do they want to do their time? I mean, at the end of the day, you can go in there and get involved in all kinds of prison politics, or you can go better yourself. And no one's going to really make you do it either way. You can, it can just be a timeout if that's what you're going to use it for. So I just, I just think, you know, folks need to be intentional on their own of, of doing that. But then they have to have the resources available to them. And when I was there, I mean, if you wanted to take advantage of certain things, you could, no doubt. But at the end of the day, it, it had to be your own decision that, hey, I'm going to really make this a positive experience because it's not set up that way. Right, right, right. It's not, it's not set up to rehabilitate. It's re it's set up to punish and just to house people until you've served your time. And you said, and you talk about in your book about being intentional and, you know, spending time in the word of God and like training the guys and working out, like use it, finding constructive ways, you know, to, to use that time. And, you know, I've been in recovery for a while now myself and I've taken different, you know, meetings or classes or different things to, to local um, jails and rehabs and detox, you know, type of places. And I didn't go to prison, but I've been arrested, you know, several times sure. on account of using and, and drinking and yeah. being under the influence and making horrible decisions yeah. that aren't true to the core of who I am when I'm sober and right-minded, but it doesn't yeah. remove the consequences of what happened. And I know that, that I needed to go, you know, serve my time, take care of my stuff and, and all that. But I also realized that any one of those times, something catastrophic could have happened that that could have ended my life, someone else's life, ended me in prison, you know, and those kind of things. And so it's it's kind of like, you know, there by, by the grace of God go I. But it's kind of it makes you feel um, very fortunate, but also sad for people whose circumstances are different, especially when you're talking in there about you know a lot of the guys that you got to know they'll just they'll never leave, you know, right, and right, yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't help people and be a good influence and grow close to God and and grow as a human being, right? But it's still sad. I think, like you said, the hardest part, even when I was, you know, away, (laughs) detained, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The thought that that I wasn't there with my family and that I was missing that time and you just can't get it back, you know? Um, It makes you feel a lot, makes you feel a lot of shame and a lot of, you know, sadness. Hey, do you want to be on the show? Please send us an email at ihave12questions at gmail.com and 12 is the number one too. And we will look it over and reach out to you and set up a time to do your interview. We can't wait to read your emails and hear from you and meet you. Thanks. Okay, so this next question is, is probably a little bit sensitive. And, you know, answer it if you want to, or if you, if you, however you would like, or, or if not, that's fine too. But I think it just really helps us to remove some of the, the stigma or, or shame. And, you know, as a woman, it's interesting to me because the, the way that men think about women and sex and the way that we're taught certain things in society, you know, it's, it's just an interesting, but also like not very talked about topic. And in the book, in your book, you talk about being um, sexualized and sexually abused by two separate women when you were younger. And you talked about how it kind of, not kind of, how it did distort 
um, your just yeah. your perceptions of women, sex, intimacy, um, you know. Yeah. And so my question to you is kind of how what have you done? How have you gotten back to kind of a, a sane and healthy, you know, view of that? Because a lot of men are conditioned by all types of things, whether it's locker room talk or watching mm-hmm. other men model certain behavior or unfortunately what what you experienced you know yeah yeah so if you're comfortable talking about it just how did you shift your perception and and get to a more healthy place around that yeah you know it took me a while to really look back and realize that the sexual abuse when i was young had so much to do with it because i just i just always assumed like before i got before i went to prison and really did some soul searching i was like I just have a big alcohol problem. And when I drink, I chase women and I fight and I do these things. And it's like, okay, so once I'm sober, that's good. And then when I went in there, I realized, well, there's, there's more to what happened with me and my incident. It's like what, even in that state of mind, what made you think that that was okay? And part of it was what happened when I was young. Part of it was like you said, the stigma, not only males, but athletes being in a locker room all the time, going out on the road, you know, and unfortunately having certain things, you know, offered to you and it was like I lived that kind of life for so long that it was completely distorted like like I said like I talked about in the book and so I've just really tried to again the word intentional just really trying to see you know women for who God made them to be you know for you know just more like sisters than just a physical object and, and I'm just being honest yeah. that's how you know yeah. I was like I always talk about this God-shaped hole in me that I was trying to fill with so many things and like as a man it was like oh that conquest of you know this woman that's like doesn't satiate you. It doesn't satisfy you. And in fact, brings some shame in many cases, right. um, and then not to mention hurt along the way. And, and so, but then you go back and do it again. And it's like, well, that, that's not it. We know that's not it. So just trying to get back to, and again, you know, I speak about my faith a lot, but getting yes. back to what like a biblical message of sex really is. And it's like the, the one place it is talked about pretty openly is in church some, sometimes, depending. And it's like, look, it's not a bad thing. It's good. But here's what it's kind of designed for. And for one man, one woman, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I know we're just talking about me personally, not like the whole concept of how it was yeah. created and all that. But it's for cool. me personally, it's good to hear it. yeah, after so many years of, you know, promiscuity and that kind of thing, just trying to to get back to a place where, you know, I, I use it as it's intended. Um, of course, you always kind of carry your past with you and past mistakes you've made. And so I still believe that I have a distorted view to the point where now it's more instead of acting out on it, it's almost like shutting it down, right? Like it's yes. always, it's all dirty. It's all bad, you know? It's kind of like all Whereas, or nothing, right? That's the all or nothing yeah. mentality, right? Yeah. That's it. I've always been all or nothing. So it's like, oh, I'm going all out all the time or nope, nothing. And right? so, you know, <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to be married now and I just want to get back to that healthy, you know, and, and enjoy my wife, enjoy our relationship, you know, be it sexually, emotionally, the whole thing. But right. I think a big part of it too is, you know, being, being really mindful of what you're looking at. And, you know, for young men, well, not just young men, men in general, women, uh, the phone's right there. And are, are you looking at things, you know, like pornography? Are you at, you know, people aren't really dressing a whole lot at the gym. There's a lot of half making it. It's like, bounce your eyes, you know, be, you know, don't get caught off guard. You've been here before. So just being aware of it, not like everything else, not ignoring it and being like, Oh, I don't have that issue. Now I got it going on. It's like, no, I still, I still struggle and have to be aware that at any given time I can be tripped up. So um, I feel like there's an enemy that kind of knows my weaknesses and that's certainly one of them. So yeah, I think just just walking it out, being prayerful about it. I've got a few verses that I have in mind. When I'm getting a little froggy, it's like, you know, take every thought obedient and captive to Christ, Second Corinthians 10, 5, and just my thoughts go the other places. I got to have something yeah. to put in there to, to eliminate because thoughts aren't going to stop. But if I have some good positive stuff to put in, it can help and kind of bring me out of that spot where I don't dwell or ruminate on it. Right. No, that's great. That's great advice. It's because I love the honesty of it's still a thing. Because Mm -hmm. that's what I don't, that's the kind of, not that I'm not, I'm not attributing this to you, but sometimes in religion or certain, you know, groups or whatever, it's, it's, it gets a little dogmatic to where 
the people who are leading kind of act, you know, perfect or that they've, they've arrested all of these tendencies or that somehow God swooped in and just made it all go away. And that's not relatable to me because that's not my experience. My experience is I still struggle with a lot of that stuff every single day. I just have found other ways, healthy ways, you know, whether it's higher power stuff and all this other scaffolding Mm -hmm. we build in our lives to, to keep us, you know, honest and also the pragmatic approach of just knowing that that stuff doesn't work. I've used all kinds of different things to try to yeah. fill that God-shaped hole and to make myself yeah. feel better or change how I feel. And if I'm honest with myself and I pause if, between the thought and the action, then you know I know, oh yeah, that doesn't work, right? It yeah. might work. It might feel okay for 15 minutes or something, but then you get the shame and you get the, and then you're right back to square one. And in your Every case, time, you know, yeah. you're engaged to be married. Congratulations. Thank you know, you. I didn't know if that was public knowledge, so I didn't want to, you know, say it, yeah. but congratulations. Well, good. Thank you. But in that case, you know, if we give in, if we're in a committed relationship with somebody and we give in to those, you know, tendencies, we've, we stand to, wreck really wonderful yeah. gifts that we've been given absolutely and ourselves and, and like our you said for something so temporal you know right. and it's just it never fails where it's like you like you just said you go for whatever it is and then you're like i'm left feeling the same way like yeah. why do i keep doing this so yeah i i agree i couldn't i couldn't agree more that it's just so temporal and and so not worth it. And to your point, you know, it, it's wrecking families and it's it's very, very serious. And I know there's this big like, ah, just do whatever. It doesn't matter. And I'm not here to judge anybody's, you know, tendencies. Yeah. Acts. I know I'm, I'm always one decision away from what I'm capable of blows me away when I'm not, you know, working yes. on myself and doing the right yes. thing. So no, no judgment, but it's just been like, man, you're so right that it just blows everything up. It really does. But when you're on the other side of it and you have that what maturity or that, you know, God consciousness or whatever it is for each individual person that helps you get to the other side of that thought, um, it feels so good. It feels so good to know that you made a decision that's in alignment with who you really want to be, with who we're trying to be, not who I used to be, you know? And when I give in to, when we give into a decision, that's, that's that old behavior, it feels terrible. Yep, it does. It, I think the important thing there is like not dwelling. And, and so I think the mentality for some of us in recovery and all in, all out people is like, well, I already messed up. So here we go. Might as oh, well yeah. go down that path. Right. And I it's like, no. no, 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 no. That was one bad decision. We can recover yeah. from that. Yes. And it's just going to get gonna, worse. Right. We're going to make mistakes to your point. Like we're going, we're humans. We're just human beings. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt people's feelings or, you know, but we have tools and we can apologize and we can pray and we can do all these things. But, but yeah, to your point, you know, it's like, well, I had that one cookie, so I may as well just, you know, let's go. Yeah. Okay. So let's see what else. This is a question that's more for me, but um, it's for everybody, but it's because I'm really curious about it. But do you yeah. feel like you're good at helping people who may not subscribe to your specific flavor of faith? You know? Question. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think I do. Okay. I, I think I am. It's so it's, it's funny because I was on a podcast earlier and I, just, I got into my story and the faith aspect came up. And I'm like, look, I can't, I don't know if this is a Christian podcast. I looked at it. I'm like, oh, it's called Beyond Baseball, maybe. And they're like, no, share whatever. So it just comes up and I'm like, I can't, my story can't be told without it. That's just me. But I also am so respectful and understand that not everybody's there and not in their journey and their relationship with God or whoever they believe God to be is different. And I, and I respect that. And I, it wasn't always that way. Go back to when I said, I didn't always have that heart for people. First time I got saved like i said the mm-hmm. prayer right and yeah. uh, it was back in 1998 and i was sober for five years like not white knuckle like i'm a christian now we don't drink and we don't do something yeah. <laughs> i was like just miserable and um but at that time if you would ask me that question i would have been like i can't relate like i would hear people talk about a fall from grace or a whatever and i'm like fall i'm like what how now that you're living this way and then it happened to me, I'm like, oh, okay. You're, this is not a like snap your fingers and you're uh, nah. So now going through what I went through and I always tell people, they're like, well, I don't go to church because hypocrite. I'm like, 
I'm the biggest one. Like if people are people and they're messed up and don't let yeah. that get in the way of your relationship. And in fact, just say, Hey, I don't even know if I believe in you. This dude Puffer's talking about this God thing. I don't, I don't haven't seen it. Show me, you know? And I'm like, you just be honest about your feelings and, and however that is. So I, I think I've gotten to a place where I'm certainly not ashamed to share it. Cause I just know like, Hey guys, look, I came through this and this is the only way I came through it. Yeah. But if that doesn't resonate with you, I understand that. That's okay. There's a lot of life skills and self-help and things you can do that are certainly going to be beneficial for you if, if you're not ready to take that leap of faith. Right. No, I love that. I love that. And I, when, when my brother mentioned your book and, and this, and he said, you, you know, pray and you go to church and you do all these things and whatever. And I, in the back of my mind, I was just kind of like, Meh, you know, because I'm really still very exploratory in my faith. And I obviously believe in God, but I have, I, I'm not real sure about the monotheistic approach. I almost, I almost feel like there's so many paths. And so I'm still, but, but it's not because of your commitment to, you know, Jesus and that kind of thing. It's more about the experiences I've had in the past and having grown up in the Southern Baptist church, it was sure. kind of like, you either do it this way or you're bad and you're a sinner and you're going to hell and we really don't even want to hang out with you. And so for me, because of that all or nothing approach, because I couldn't be perfect, I was like, I'll just be really bad, you know, yeah, or, too. or right. And so yeah. sometimes when people, when people who are, are Christian, you know, it, they, they don't always mirror or uh, exemplify the behavior or the heart of Jesus, the, the character of Jesus that I've studied and that I understand who right. was out there with people who needed love and were lepers and the prostitutes and the, the yeah. you know, he wasn't with the shiny, happy, clean people. He was trying to love on the people who were like down yes. in it. And that's, that's the kind of Christianity that I'm drawn to, right? Love. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. It's for the sick. It's like not yes. clean yourself up and come get well or get well, then come in. It's like, no, I'm sick. I need help. Help right. me get well. And again, it goes back to like your experience is so um, normal of what so many experience in like, yeah. yeah, I wanted to give this thing a shot and I went and this is what I found. And I don't want to be a part of that. And that's yeah. on us as people, you know, so just Christian faith, like judging or looking down on people or you're not. And I think I would have been more in that camp in that early yeah. stages of what I thought it was before I really had time to dive in and truly read the word and truly see the character of who Jesus was and just going, okay, look, right. this is the relationship between me and you. This is yeah. not religion. This is not, this is a relationship. I'm talking to you like I'm talking to everybody else all day long. And I, I yes. feel your presence sometimes, sometimes I don't, but I believe it's there. And at the end of the day, yeah, that's what I, I get it. People are so you know, you see some stuff on social media or on anything and you're like, golly, why would anyone want to be a part of that? Right. <laughs> so, right. but again, I yeah. think that's so important to go. That's, that's people though. And they're getting it wrong because they're sick and they're distorted view of what it should be. And don't let that get in the way of your one-on-one -on -one relationship because it's truly yours personal. And that's, and that's beautiful. And I respect your faith and I love that you talk about it. I love that you are open about it and that you talk about it and that you share it with other people, but also you're still going to love people and lead them and help them regardless of what they believe or don't believe, because a lot of, yeah. a lot of people aren't like that, right? It's either like you believe how I believe, or I'm, I don't have time for you. And I think when I got into recovery, it was the first time that I felt like I could have an actual relationship with a God of my understanding. And, you know, Jesus has a lot to do with that. There's a lot of those types of teachings of love, but it's when the way I was raised, God was very distant, very far away. And I didn't feel like I actually could have a relationship with him. I just felt like I was kind of in trouble all the time and that mm -hmm. he was noting all my, you know, I whereas yeah. now, it's God consciousness all day, every day. I'm in constant contact of, of trying my best to kind of get out of myself and get into serving others and, you know, trying to be a better person. And it's, it's hard sometimes because we all want to, we want to, we want to fit in. And, they, and I think that's sometimes why this, this kind of tribal culture happens in religion and all kinds of other area politics, whatever you want, you know, of, um, we're right, you're wrong. And it makes us feel safe, but that's the problem, right? I mean, yes. I think that Jesus himself wouldn't, 
turn anyone away if they were looking for love and, you know, and coming in all dirty and tattered and sick, right? You don't have to get cleaned up before you're accepted. And I think that's, that's the kind of stuff that I love in your book. I mean, it's just full of it. It's just full of that type of love and grace. And it's also interesting how you said it, you were in a certain camp until you experienced something and yes. now your perspective is different. Right. And absolutely. And the growth I, I think just continues, you know, like yeah. where I stand today, can, hopefully continues to, to evolve and continues to develop and, yeah. and I grow in that and I'm able to, you know, and then when we mess it up, be able to go, Hey, yeah, I was wrong. That was, yeah. that was not, that does, that's not representative of what I believe or my faith or any of those things. I know in the Bible, Paul talks about like, I just want to do what's right. And all I do is what's wrong. <laughs> and I know what's right. And I'm like, yes, I got that, dude. I can relate yeah. to that. And um, so, yeah, I think it's that. I think first and foremost, just being able to forgive ourselves. Yeah. You know, if we believe that he's forgiven us, it's like, okay, but do I forgive myself? Because I carry this shame a lot. And it just kind of get putting that in his arms and going, look, there's going to be people, people of the faith, people in church that are going to be like, oh, that's the guy that, uh, you know, and it's like, yeah. that's okay. It's all right. I get it. But just staying grounded in that faith is just so important. I love it. In your book, you have so many good, you know, one liners and just really funny. But when you're talking about you're either humble or you're about to be humbled yeah. and you really talk about, you know, going through these different things and your your path and your journey. And I mean, it really is funny for as heavy as the subject matter is that I was I literally laughed out loud because it's funny. You're funny about it. Yeah. But you're also totally accountable. Like you just owned it, you know, like everything that happened up to that evening when everything went down and you ended up, you know, having to go serve time. You didn't make excuses and you didn't blame other people. And you, you know, you just were like, yeah, you know, and that's, I think that's yeah. a big part of what's missing in our world today too, is when we mess up, just be like, I'm sorry, that was wrong or that was insensitive. And you also really, go out of your way to continue to talk about the impact you had on that woman, right? To take yeah. that into account, yeah. right? You're talking about your experience, but you're also very aware and remorseful of what your actions, you know, meant for someone else's life too, in terms of her safety and this kind of thing. Very much so. Yeah. I have daughters, you know, again, I'm engaged well, married. I have daughters. It's like, I get it. You know what I mean? I get it. And when I'm coaching and parents have questions or they might be tentative to ask me, so I'll ask someone else like, hey, what about this thing that happened? And they're like, ask him. He'll talk to you about it. Because if you're coaching my son and you've had something like this in your past, I just want to know where you're coming from. Where are you now? You know, Have you changed your behavior? Are you? So I totally get it. Like as a dad and a, and a son and all these different things, I just, my perspective usually is try to put yourself in their shoes, you know, like, right. and I'm like, I get it. I totally understand. So I, I, yeah, I try to, I do, I really try to be open about that. And, and, and in terms of, you know, the, the victim, it's just the last thing I would ever want is for this to be out there and be this story. It's helping people and her to feel like, Oh, well you didn't go through. It's like, look, if I, if I can ever make good of this and it helps other folks not go through what she did or, or what I put my family through, then that's really the whole meaning behind it all right. is. And that's why I'm always intentional about mentioning it. It's like, look, mm -hmm. there were people, this is not just about me. There were my decision, my choice hurt her, her family, my whole family and people who looked up to us. So it's like, guys, when we're, when we're making these choices, it's, it's not just about us. It's really right. not so many other people affected by our mess, you know? Um, and I don't know about you, but when I was in my addictions, like I just felt like every relationship everywhere I went, I just, it's like a tornado just went through there. And I left yeah. you in shambles with your house. You know, it's like, you, there you go. Yeah, I, I came and visited. I'm a tornado. I'm out. And now you get to deal with all the damage. You know, everything's destroyed. Good luck with that. I got to yeah, go. And, yeah. and also, right, it's everyone else's fault. And I think that's the difference is when we not only own it, but then also, you know, don't say you're sorry. Nobody cares to hear anybody say they're sorry. They want to see changed behavior. They want to yeah. see a different, you know, show up in a different new way. And to do that, we've got to go inward. We've got to go do all this work and examine all these things and try to study our thinking and our behavior, which is what, you know, which is what you were talking about. And I just really respected and appreciated that about, about your, you know, honesty 
and the fact that you're just an open book and you're just willing to talk about this stuff because most people aren't. This isn't how our culture is. This isn't how our society is at all. You know, and I wish we would be more like this. We could heal and and have these really tough conversations with people and and relate to each other. Hi, Amanda here. I just want to take a second to promote Brandon Puffer's book. It's called From the Bullpen to the State Pen on Choices, the Crash, and the Remarkable Freedom of Grace. And it was released a couple of weeks ago. It's got tons of five-star reviews out on Amazon. Uh, So really hope you guys will support Brandon and his efforts to get his book out to the world and his story out to the world in hopes of, of helping others. Personally, when I read it, I just really appreciated the candor and the accountability and talking about, you know, being a ball player, but also talking about men that he met in prison and those relationships and, you know, his path to redemption and how he turned that into, you know, a platform and a way to help other people. And there are so many touching moments in the book and funny moments as well. And it's a, it's a relatively quick read. It's an easy read. Um, and just very profound. And the foreword is written by Rick Warren. And for those of you who aren't familiar, he wrote uh, The Purpose Driven Life. So that's quite a ringing endorsement, if you ask me. Um, Anyways, just want to take a second to encourage you guys to support Brandon Puffer and his book, From the Bullpen to the State Pen. And it is currently available out on amazon.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, so a couple more and then I'll, I'll let you go because I know you're, you've been through it. So this is a question that I always like, I'm not good at having fun. I'm just such a serious person. And I just, I'm even when I'm doing fun things, it's like scheduled and it's very like, okay, I had my fun for an hour and a half or whatever. Yeah. So my question is, a lot of people equate drinking to kind of fun or blowing off steam. And when you first quit drinking and using and, and all this, I remember being like, what do people do for fun? Like, what are you supposed to do? And so my question is, how do you have actual fun? You know, like, what do you do when you're wanting to be childlike or, you know, and it's not work related because I'm sure baseball is fun for you, but it's also work, yeah. right? So yeah. what do you do for fun? I love, and I, and I relate to exactly what you're saying. Like I, I couldn't go to social events for the longest time. I'm like, what? This isn't, what am I doing? I can now go listen to a band, go hang out, not have a drink, yeah. not want a drink and just enjoy what people watch. I love to people watch. Yeah. And I also love, your brother's going to attest to this in a big way. I love watching hilarious shows. Like ridiculousness is my favorite show. It's on <gasps> TV. They play it, they play it like 900 times in a row every day. And I can watch it fit the same episode 50 times and just crack up and laugh and have so much fun. And, I, you know, along with working out and all these other things, it's like laughter is really – I'm, I'm, I'm goofy. I take nothing serious. Yeah. I joke around probably too much even when yeah. things are serious. But it's like, yeah, I like laughing, watching hilarious comedies, and then laughing and joking around with my buddies and, um, you know, just, just keeping things light. So there's not like a certain event that I go do. Yeah. That's funny. I just like to be always having fun, joking around with guys, you know, going back and forth, being sarcastic, things like that. I just, I enjoy the heck out of that. And so again, it, you know, prior to, I don't know, just a couple of years ago, it would be hard for me to go to a social event and be like, everyone's going to be having fun and having fun and drinking. And yeah. I'm just going to be here. Sitting. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? It's really fun to watch people, <laughs> especially the more they're, they're getting out of character. It's like, oh man, that was me. Okay. Well, and, wow. and, and so I just, I do, I love to people watch. I love to watch funny things and I love to just joke around and, and be sarcastic with my buddies. That's so funny. I don't know if you started Corey on ridiculousness or if it was the other way around, but that's the, with the Rob guy, like the skater and it's all the, uh, the bloopers people. Yeah. 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 Just funny videos. Chanel's on there just giggling funny. Giggling. And, and yeah, no, I, I got your brother on that and the sparkling water. I got I got to take credit for that. <laughs> he drinks like 16 sparkling waters a day. I know. I, know. Yeah. I do too. I do too. <laughs> yeah, we crush him. You oh, should see our hotel room when we put him in the middle table next to our beds. It's like college frat guys building up beer cans, but it's just girly LaCroix drinks. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Okay. That makes me, that makes me feel better. Cause I'll try to go do something like I'll, I love going to comedy shows. There's a lot of things in any, when I'm laughing yeah. and if I can just be a huge dork and just be myself and not love care. It. And you know, and it used to bother me a lot being around because comedy, anything we do, it's almost like alcohol is always the central theme. And at first right. it just feels, but now it's like, I don't care. I'm, I'm there to have fun. And also, like you say, sometimes when I watch people, the drunker they get, it's pretty cringeworthy. Cause I'm just like, Ooh, oh, I yeah. know I was that girl. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I know I've been that person before. No doubt. Okay. So my last, my last question, I mean, I could ask you a thousand more questions, but my last question is, you know, what is, what does success mean to you now? You know, now after everything you've, done and been through and and the things that are on the horizon in your future how do you define success for your own life that's a great question i would say it's it's fulfilling my purpose and mm -hmm. and you got to be pretty in tune to to know what that is and it changes day to day but i get up every day and literally open my eyes and be like thank god i got another breath i got another day and yeah. I'm like, okay, what's my purpose today? What is it? Like if I'm going, which I will be in a little bit, going to coach kids, it's, you know, please let me help this kid, whatever he needs. If it's a mechanical pitching thing, great. But if he's having struggles or he needs encouragement or he needs to laugh, whoever you put in my place, let me be a light wherever you send me. And that, and if I'm being a light and I'm fulfilling a purpose, encouraging folks during the day, then I feel like I'm being a success. You know, it's certainly not worldly things or the, you know, the World Series or the money or the stuff that came along with baseball. It's really not. It's just once that stuff's gone, that can make you happy temp temporarily. We've been talking a lot about temporal things. But yeah. in terms of that, that, that lasting power, that true peace and joy, it's if I'm walking in my purpose. And I truly believe that every one of us has their purpose. But they just got to figure out what it is. And once you start walking yeah. that out, it's just like some days are more active than others for sure. But at the end of every day, it's like, ah, I was here for a reason. And I, and I encouraged a few people. And that's my purpose. I love that. I love that. That is, that's profound because, you know, I've, I've, when you're talking about that internal peace and that, you know, because also in the God shaped hole is all the things, right? Career and degrees and the money and how do you look and what do you drive and what, you know, and again, it's all this list, this, the list goes on forever and you keep doing it and you're like, nope, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Right. It's, you yeah. still feel that hollow, and, and drugs and alcohol for me were, it, it, I was trying to achieve the feeling that I actually get in recovery, mm -hmm. which is bizarre. I just wanted that peace and that comfort and like just feeling yeah. comfortable with myself and around other people. And it's so ironic that the thing that I chased to find it got me further and further away from it. And yeah. when I put that away and focused my attention instead on, you know, my spirituality and my growth and how I can be of service, but it's just, it's ironic because you're like, wow, I really went the wrong way. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. I went the opposite direction when in the peace that you have, you know, even when something really hard is happening. And I love that too about your book because you're, you're going through something incredibly difficult and you're reflecting yeah. and your journal entries are positive and beautiful and full of hope. And to me yeah. that it's easy to be happy when you have everything in the world, but what right. about when you're sitting in a prison cell, you know, right. what about yeah. when someone you love is really sick or you've just lost a loved one or what, you know, what about when you're going through the storms of life? Like what, are, how is your internal peace then? And to your point, yeah. when you're fulfilling your purpose, it's, Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that was, no, I appreciate that, Amanda. And that was one of my greatest lessons there was like, you know what? Peace and joy doesn't come from circumstances. You had all these things and were you ever, did you ever have peace or joy? No, you've got literally nothing right now. And it's like, people always ask me like how I said, I, you know, I never knew that God was all I needed till he's all I had. And he literally was all I had. So I found that peace and joy in the, in those circumstances. And I was like, moving forward, like as long as it's a mindset. It's, yes. it's living in gratitude. It's, you know, you know, giving yourself hope with the littlest thing, just hanging on to it. And you can literally overcome anything. And I was like, once I learned that I could be, you know, happy or peaceful or joyful and in a cell, 
or around craziness or right. not floors in prison, man, where can't I find this? So uh, ironically, the busyness of the world now, I have to remind myself more often than I did then. It's like, remember, remember, you know, all this is good and you are yeah. starting to achieve more and you're doing more things, but it's like more, 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 more doesn't always equal peace and joy. And no, certainly not happy. Keep it simple and fundamental. And like, I love that line in the book where like, I guess it's you and me now, you know, talking to God. Here we go. In that realization, that's where you found freedom and peace and all that while your physical body was locked up. I mean, it's, it's, this book is awesome. Um, I, I'm so glad that I got to meet you. I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing and that you wrote this book so that other people can benefit from it. I'm so glad you're in my brother's life. You know, that makes me so happy. Love that guy. He loves you. I mean, it's, it is a quite the bromance if I, if I am honest. Yes. Heck you know? yeah. <laughs> hey, me and, me, and, me and CP, some sparkling water, a little ridiculousness. I mean, it's about as romantic as it gets. <laughs> oh, I appreciate this so much. Thank you.